0: We're now going to get into uh, this next piece of white space in this series. You're like, what does that even mean? Well, white space is this this uh, design concept of where you actually where you'll leave parts of the canvas or the or the page or these different things. You leave them unused on purpose so that what you put on the page gets really, really noticed. Think about the difference between Yahoo's homepage and Google's homepage, okay? Incredible difference. Google, nice, clean, lots of white space. They put only the minimal stuff there. That's what I'm talking about is cutting out the clutter so that what really matters is there. We've been looking at that. So if you've got your Uversion app open, you can follow along in your notes that way, or you can get your your little paper bulletin, you can click right along with us. On Old school paper as well, but life can easily get cluttered with lots of important things that can crowd out what really matters. It just really, really does. I've, <clears throat> I've heard it said by, by many people that one of the things, one of the tricks that the enemy uses on believers is to just get us busy. Just get us going, get us all in this grind, and then even sometimes getting going on good stuff a minister that i really respect who has a a, a massive a, a massive ministry has been very public that years ago he had a he had an awakening within him because he realized that he was a full-time clergyman, full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Christ because his life was so busy doing ministry stuff that somehow he edged out his own personal relationship with God and that just can't happen. That can't happen to any of us. But it's easy, easy for any of us to fall into it. Psalms 127, we've looked at this passage of Scripture every week. This is kind of our, our centering point as we look at this series. And I, I think it, it's, it's good for us to re- be reminded of this. That unless the Lord builds the house, it's builder's labor in vain. I've said it every week. It's not that nobody's building You know, we understand it, that, you know, if nobody's swinging a hammer, if nobody's cutting a board, if nobody's out there pouring a foundation, nothing's getting happening. Something's happening. Somebody's out there doing this. There's laborers, but they're building in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. They're out there, they're on the wall, they've got their little blankets and they're huddled up and they're looking around and they're putting in their time and they're tired and they're sleepy, but they're not inviting God to be a part of it. And it says they're watching, they're doing all of that in vain. What with the intended result? It doesn't come about in vain. You rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep those he loves. I really do believe one of the greatest revelations that a believer can get is to understand what it means to really rest in God. So few of us really get it. So I'm still learning how to do this. My tendency is to overwork. My tendency is to overschedule. My tendency is to get cluttered up like anybody else and to learn what it means to really rest in God. That's where he wants us. Not this place of striving and, and, and trying harder. That's why Jesus says it is finished. It's finished. And we're walking in his completed work. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light because it's already done. It's already finished. And so we need to understand this place of rest. We need to understand these concepts of of really taking in the moments or something really, really vital is going to be yanked out from us right under our nose. I am so enjoying. We, for those of y'all that don't know, we have seven kids. And so, and, uh, same marriage coming up on 21 years, baby. And, uh, Whoop. and, uh, my oldest is a freshman in Bible school and pray for him and pray for us. He's finishing up an outreach at Mardi Gras. Lord. That's right. Who wants to get a call from their freshman saying, "Dad, I'm going to Mardi Gras." Uh, nope. Sorry, but and dad, I want you to pay for it. Uh, nope, nope. And so, uh anyways, he's going with a he's going with a team, awesome group of People and uh, I've got some texts from him. He says, It is crazy. And so we'll be praying. They've been out there praying over people and being there as as an outreach. And uh, so that's where my oldest is. And my youngest just turned three months old and sitting up here on the front row, chairing daddy on. And um, so I've got this big spread of children. And uh, they uh, have the oldest five and then the youngest two. And one of the things that I found. And being a new dad all over again. But this time with some experience under my belt. Is that I am enjoying my two little daughters' infancy. Way more than I ever enjoyed. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's true, little one. She's she's hooting and hollering now. And uh, I'm enjoying their infancy so much more than I did my older ones. I just didn't savor it. I was sitting there, a young dad. There was nothing mean I did. I enjoyed my babies. I enjoyed them being on the scene, but I got wrapped up in the next step. Keenan gets here. I'm excited. Whoop, whoop. I'm hollering in the OR. In fact, we met a nurse that remembered me 19 years later. She said, "Brandon Clark, I was there when his first son was born. The doctor had to tell him to shut up." I was like, "That's me." I was that guy. I was yelling and hollering and jumping up and down because my boy was here. I was excited about being a dad, but I got wrapped up in the next step, and I couldn't wait till he could crawl. And then I couldn't wait till he could walk. I couldn't wait till he could climb. And I couldn't wait till he could do the next thing and go hunting and all of those different pieces. And as he was in these other little moments, we'd kind of get it off the checklist and get ready for the next one. And I didn't enjoy it. And these moments that were designed for me to savor as a father, I punched them off the checklist and I didn't take them in to the fullness of what God meant for me to have that in. The joy that was wrapped up in it. Now my two little ones, all of a sudden they wake up in the middle of the night or early in the morning. I'm much more patient with 7 o'clock in the morning feeding, aren't I dear? I'm much more patient. I sit there and it's wonderful to have her fall asleep on me in the recliner and I'm in no hurry to go put her in her bed so that I can go do something else. And I'll just hold her. And it's not because I love her any more than I love Keenan or Brooklyn or Weston. It's because my perspective is different and I understand the value of each one of those moments a little better than I understood them then. And we get cluttered with all the next steps and all the next thing and the next thing to check off. And I can't wait for this and all that. And we're living out here thinking joy is going to be here. Oh, it's going to be so much fun when he's able to throw a ball with me. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. when We're able to do this. And I'm living out there thinking my joy was there when it was really right in front of me the whole time. The whole time. See, as we make room for the important, God wants our lives to be filled with joy. And if we don't slow down enough to let that really come in, we'll miss it. For those of y'all that maybe have a, 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 a Catholic background or any of the backgrounds that do Lent. Lent's coming up. Starts on the 5th. It's this concept that if you're not familiar with Lent where you, where you take something out of your life. You fast from something. And really the whole root of what that should be isn't this con, isn't this place of self-sacrifice for God. But for us to go, you know what, God, my life tends to get too cluttered and I'm going to take something out of it. I'm going to make a little more room as we're walking into the place where you died for me. I want to savor you a little bit more. If you have a practice of of celebrating Lent, I encourage you to, to put that element in it. Say, Lord, what can I remove so I can savor you a little bit more, so I can enjoy what you did for me a little bit more? Not about sacrifice, not about that. It's about making room, finding a place of rest, and really drinking in what God did because joy should invade every piece of our lives. It just should find its way in, even into places we think it doesn't belong. Now, if you've been around Celebration Church, I can't talk about joy and not tell you this story. And um, But when Cutie and I were... Early marriage, um, I did not know how to do a bunch of dishes and stuff like maybe I should. should have needed to. I wasn't well trained that way. So we did the dishes and finally got a dishwasher when we moved into the Rosemont Apartments on ASU, which don't even exist anymore. And, um, and so we do I was doing the dishes, load them up. It's my turn to do it. I load everything up, go to get the Cascade. No Cascade. Alright. So we gotta clean dishes. I look over at the sink. There's a ball of joy on the sink. You know, they have the liquid cascade. You have the liquid joy, no problem. Boop. Big old squeeze. Fill the little dill all the way up. Close it. Cutie always likes to give a little extra cascade. So I put a little boop. put a little extra in there, shut it, start it, we go run errands. We gone. Keenan is real little. He's still crawling around. We come home, and our kitchen is a winter wonderland. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but there's a big difference in the soaps because this one in the machine doesn't have suds that make all the cool bubbles. And man, there were bubbles coming all out of all the gaps. There were all the little buttons around the little thing, the old school thing. that had the little mechanical buttons. There were bubbles coming out of that. There were bubbles. You open up. You couldn't see dishes. It was just Bubbles. It was just a wall of bubbles. Man, Keenan gets in there. He's crawling around. He thinks it's awesome. He's playing in the stuff. He's like making bubble angels. He's having a blast. And, man, it just, it just took over everything. We had to run those dishes like seven times with nothing in it until it was finally clean. Never made that mistake again. But that's the way this joy of the Lord should be in our lives. That it begins to get in there. And when we begin to look even at at some of the mess and some of the crud in our lives. That we would rather be cleaned up. We can look at it through a place of recognizing that God's at work. And that there is joy in our lives. There is joy in everything. See Romans 15.13 says may the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It's as we trust. The joy comes as we trust. We go, God, fill me with joy and then I'll trust you. It's like, oh, man, life's easy. I have no cares. Yeah, God, I trust you. I'm so full of joy. I'm so relaxed. I'm so cool. Yeah, whatever, God. Mm-hmm, sure. No. Our place of peace, our place of rest, our place for that follows our place of trust. Trust leads it. Our relationship with God is built on trust. We start it by coming to Christ and saying, you know what? I need a Savior. You are Him and I trust you for my life. I trust you for my eternity. And and then joy comes on the other side of that. It's as you trust in Him so that you may overflow, overflow. With hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden it just gets into every nook and cranny and it begins to take over our lives. It begins to fill it. See, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which comes from what God is doing in us, not from what is happening around us. We tend to think that we want, that if things would just go a little bit better around us, then I could have some joy in my life. But it's not the way. Joy comes from the inside. It's not granted from the outside. That's not the way it rolls. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not of manner of eating and drinking. Those are representatives of the things we need every day that we gather on the outside and we shove in. That they provide life and they're needful. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. But the kingdom of God is not about gathering up quality little tasty things and adding them to us. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, which is provided in Christ, peace, which we have in Him, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what this is. Acts 13.52 says the disciples were filled with joy and And with the Holy Spirit. Those go together over and over and over again. See, when we try to fill the space in our lives with things that can never give us joy, we actually crowd out the true source of joy. God. We actually crowd it out. We think that this is what it's going to be, but really it's something else. Because it's just counterintuitive. We just don't get it. We we need a new way to view life. I've shared with you all before that I'm, I'm not an athlete by any means. I'm not fast. I'm not coordinated, any of that fun stuff. And, um, and so I decided that I wanted to do something athletic. And so I was going to do this race. I was going to do this duathlon where you, where you run and then you get on your bike and you ride and you run. And at this point, I hadn't even run a mile in forever. And so it was a three-mile run, an 18-mile bike, and a three-mile run. So obviously I was going to have to get in shape for it. So I began to run and the first time I run a mile and I'm just sucking wind and it's just, I just can't imagine doing this. And as I went, I got better and better and better. And finally, I'm going on my first three mile run. And uh, my oldest son was on his bike. And I said, Hey, you want to ride with me? You just ride beside me as I run and you just keep me, keep me company. So he's, I'm running, he's riding beside me. And So we're getting about halfway through it. He said, Dad, why are you you doing this? I'm like, son, I'm going to do a race. And uh, Kenan's about 10 or 11 years old at that time. And he's like, awesome, Dad. Are you going to win? Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) No, son, I, I am not going to win. That just threw him for a loop. He was like, he started trying to encourage me. You know, build me up, be a little bit of cheerleader. Dad, you know, you can, you can do it. You can win. Don't think like that. You know, trying to get me to think happy thoughts and positive things. And dad, you don't say that. You can win. I'm like, son, no, I'm telling you, I am not going to win. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going out there to win. And as a as a kid, he just couldn't wrap his mind around not winning. So we bike a little bit longer and or he bikes and I'm running. And then he says, dad, at least just. Just don't come in last place. I said, son, I am probably going to come in last place. It's uh, more than likely that's what's going to happen. And I'm cool with it. I want to finish it. That my win, because right now I can't even do it. So the fact that I would do it is my win. And he couldn't wrap his mind around that. Dad, you're going to train to come in last. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It sounds dumb when you say it that way, son, but yes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to train to come in last. but it just didn't make sense to him because all of the joy of the race is the win when you're that old. That's all the joy of the race. When you're this old, finishing is the joy of the race. Right, woo! Finish line! Awesome! It takes a different perspective and we look to find joy in places that it was never designed to give us. They were things for us to enjoy. God's given us all things to enjoy. But they're not our source of joy. He is our source of joy. Philippians 4, 4-7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That simply means to joy again. There's this something that gave you joy, and you're going back to it, and you're rejoicing. You're getting joy from it all over again. It's reinvigorating you. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. This is all the external stuff, the stuff that, that steals our joy. Anxiety will make you a joyless individual. That's the first thing it comes to Rob. It comes to just punch you in the gut, pick your pocket of every ounce of joy, and leave you in the curb. If you let anxiety get into your life, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, this is what happened. This is what we do if anxiety tries to sneak in. We bring it to God. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That counteracts the whining. Normally, right when we're on the edge of anxiety, we're upset about something and we go to prayer and all of a sudden we find our place in this good old holy religious Christian whining to God. There's nothing wrong with being honest and being real with him. That's the prayer and petition. But then we add thanksgiving and that's the part of saying, God, I know you're bigger than this. I know you can handle this. I'm not drop something on your doorstep that's too big for you. And I'm excited about that, God. That's the thanksgiving part. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know what that means? You won't understand it. That's what it means. The peace of God that transcends understanding. You see somebody with this and you're like, I just don't understand it. It's biblical, yes. Boom, you nailed it. We can't understand it. The peace of God comes into that situation where there should be no peace. And God gives peace anyways because we're trusting in Him. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.11 says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. This word, content, this word content isn't just, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cool with it. I'm cool with it. This word is used in the New Testament one time, once, in this form right here. And it's actually a compound word, and we really get the fullness of what this means when we look at the root word, which is used multiple times. Let's go ahead and look at the root word being used a couple of times. Second Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. My grace will carry you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Same word, same root word is used here again. John 14, 8. Philip is talking to Jesus and he says, Lord, show us the Father. We get it. We understand Papa God. Show us the Father and that will be enough that will be all that we need that will be enough that's the root word now jesus has to tell him you've seen the you've seen me you've seen the father you know you don't need something extra here but philip understood that what was that god was enough jesus is telling them in that previous verse that his grace is enough this word here that paul writes in philippians 4:11 i've learned to be content the word The word of self, which it you which makes you think that it's self contented, but it's not. It's this place of us pointing ourselves towards the fullness of God. These other root words are all connected with God's fullness, God's enoughness, God's sufficiency. So here Paul says, I have learned in all situations, I have learned to point myself towards God's sufficiency. Anything comes in overwhelming for me, I point myself towards God's sufficiency. I point myself to God's enoughness. That's why he was able to be at peace no matter what went on. He had some crazy stuff happen, but he understood the difference between happiness and joy. Because as soon as I start talking about joy, your brain goes to happiness. No, there's, there's a difference. Let's go ahead and just hit these real quick. Happiness, first and foremost, is external That word happiness is connected to a Latin word for the word hap, which we get for like for luck, um, happenstance, that kind of deal. Happiness is external and joy is internal. It flows from the from the inside of us. Happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is based on Christ. Happiness is based on chance. And joy is based on choice. I have chosen to point myself towards God's sufficiency. See, the truth that God is faithful to move us forward in Him should be a constant source of joy. That God is at work in us all the time. Let's look at Philippians 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this very first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Guess what? If a work is started and it's not completed, then there's some stuff that's not finished. There's part of the canvas that's not done. There's part of the sculpture that some stuff needs to be removed. There's part of the house that's not built. Whatever the project is, if it's been started but it's not completed, there's still some stuff in process, and we can gravitate and look at that and get so overwhelmed, and he says, I've got joy because I know God started it and he's going to finish it. That's why we can be, have joy all the time. See, Paul writes those, that Philippians. He writes it from a Roman jail with a death sentence hanging over his head. And see, and when he writes this, Paul knew bad days. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was snake bitten. He was harassed. He was lied about five times. His Jewish brethren gave him 39 lashes, beat him 39, pow, pow, hit him with, with whips 39 times. He was stoned and left for dead one time. And this is the guy who says, I've learned to point myself to God's sufficiency. It's not because he's lived a charmed life, a painless life. And everything on the outside, perfect life. It's because he's found the true source of joy. And because of that, Paul, knew, knowing the difference between happiness and joy, he was able to celebrate each and every win that God brought. Later on in Philippians 1, we pick up in verse 12, and it says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's in jail, He's been put through the ringer. It's been ugly. He could whine. If any of us could whine, he could whine. But what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard. These people that he could consider enemies. Why would he even care about the palace guard? They're keeping them locked up. But he's excited about what's happening with the palace guard. It's clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else... That I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. He's sitting there enjoying what God is doing, even through the ugly and the pain and the suffering in his own life. He sees God at work. The beautiful thing about our God is the enemy cannot play a card that God's grace can't trump. He just can't. The enemy can't play a card. And there's not a big enough one that God's grace doesn't trump. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can put our whole lives in his hands. That's why we can live this life of faith and allow joy to really flow out of our lives. See, the truth is, as we seek to truly know God and trust him our entire lives. They become aligned around those things that matter most. We so want everything in our lives to flow perfectly. We live in a fallen world and things just don't always fall perfectly. But we can fall before our Savior. We can put all of that there in His hands. We can trust Him, we can know of His goodness. We can all have peace that's not made up but really granted to us that goes beyond anything we can understand. And we can have joy in life irregardless of what's going on around us. That's what he wants for us. But we've got to give him room. Just give him some room. Say, God, I've had it up to here. And I'm done with life. And God, I'm going to back up a little bit. And I'm going to give you some room. God, I need you to do something here. God, give me a fresh perspective. God, work in my life. Just give him a little space. Give him a little white space. Let him work in your life. I've seen it over and over again. But this begins with us recognizing who God is and trusting him with that first step. And saying, you know what? I need a Savior and Jesus is him. If we could just bow our heads, I want to create a quiet moment for anyone who needs to do that. If you're here this morning and you say, Brandon, you know I, i've I've never made a decision to trust Jesus for my future, for heaven. I've never understood that he loved me that much and I always thought that if I wanted to make heaven my home and God my Father had to do all this big pile of stuff and and I recognize that I just need to believe in him and embrace what he's done and let him let him work in my life from this point forward. If that's you this morning. I want you to just lift your hand up and we want to pray with you.